So yes, we are still in Hebrews chapter 11. I feel like we're, we're spinning our wheels, but every time we, we spend more time in it, we're learning more about faith and what God wants and is calling out of us as his, as his followers. Two weeks ago, I gave you this little um, faith-building exercise. Um, it was reading through the miracles of Jesus, uh, this little form that I had from seminary. I, I, I gave it to you. There's a slide, Andrea, that shows like, where they can still find it if they weren't here two weeks ago. But what we did is, is we made this available through our reading plan on the website. And in it... We can read all through the four Gospels, all the different miracles that Jesus performed. Some of them he performed with nature. In other words, he, he multiplied the food, right? Or he stopped the storm. Um, but many of them were healing uh, miracles. He helped the blind to see. You know, he healed those who were deaf and those who were crippled. In that study, and as I continued to study that over these last couple of weeks, I noticed something very important which applies to what we're going to be studying today in Hebrews. Just before Jesus did many of these miracles, he would ask a question. He would ask a question. So you can go back and look at that chart, or you can look in the Gospels. You know how to find the, the, the miracles of Jesus. But you'll notice that there's, there's many questions that he asks just before he brings healing or just before he does a miracle. They're like little mini quizzes or little mini tests. He's testing us. He's asking us to sort of understand where we are at before he does this great thing. And here's a few of the examples of those questions. He says, you know, do you believe that I'm able to do this? That's in one of the passages. Do you believe that I'm able to do this? Why are you so afraid, he asks in another situation. Why do you doubt there's another one. I didn't put it on the slide. It's, why all this wailing and crying going on? This is after someone has died and he's going to raise her from the dead, a little girl. Do you want to be well, he asks the man at the pool of Bethesda. Do you want to be well? Funny question, right? Because wouldn't the answer always be, well, of course. But he asks that question. Where is your faith is a huge one. He asks his disciples over and over again, where is your faith? Where is it? He wants us to discover it and find it. And then he says, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? It's one of his questions. Did I not tell you if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So as I study scripture and as I spend time in my own quiet time, I, I try to apply these to my situations, to my circumstances. That's what scripture is for. It's living, it's breathing, it's supposed to be a part of my life. And so I try to find places where it might apply. But these are really deep questions. Jesus doesn't waste words. He's asking deep questions of us. He wants us to discover what faith is, where it is, how to walk in it, and how to live in it so that we can bring glory to God. I wonder how you would answer those questions if you think about the situation in your life, the storm that you're going through. If Jesus were to stop just before he did the miracle and ask you, where's your faith? Do you believe? These are good, good questions for us to meditate on and think about. So this morning, we're going to talk a little bit about tests, right? Nobody likes tests. We all want to skip the test. We want to get a, a high enough grade in the class that we don't have to take the final. Um, but... We go through tests. 
So we're going to answer two questions. We're going to look at two things about testing as we think about Abraham and Sarah, Abraham's test here with Isaac. But number one, what is a test and why are we tested? So let's talk about what is a test. In both the Old and the New Testament, the word translated for test means to prove by trial, right? To prove by testing, by trial. It's similar to what Pastor Will did last week. He brought a chair over. He said, this is a chair, this is a chair, this is a chair. But the test is, will you sit in the chair? Will you, will you trust yourself that it's going to hold you? That's proving it by trial, by, by trial and error, right? So therefore, when God tests us, his children, his purpose is to prove that our faith actually is there, that it's real, that you've put your faith in the right God in the right place. And he wants to prove that to you by testing you. Not that God needs to prove this to himself because he knows all things. He knows your heart. He knows right where you are in your spiritual growth and your maturity. He doesn't have any questions about that because he sees our hearts. What he wants us to do is to understand our role in this relationship with him. To understand that we truly are his children. That he is proving to us that faith is real. That faith is the walk that we should be walking. A walk of faith, not just by sight, but by faith in him. And that's truly what we are as his children. We are called to to follow him and to put our faith and to to allow him to work in our lives in such a way that we're, we're growing and maturing in our faith. Some tests are short and some are long. The testing or the trials that we, that we go through, they come in various ways. No, no two of us are tested in the same way. They come in different forms. Becoming a Christian and following Jesus faithfully often requires us to move out of our comfort zone, wherever we were before we knew Christ, and into something unknown, into something new, a walk with God. When we hold on and we persevere in the midst of testing, the results are that we will spiritually grow. We'll get stronger. We'll begin to understand what it means to give glory to God and not make life all about us. We change. We're transformed. We're more and more like Christ because we're tested. Even Christ himself was tested. Do you remember the big test in the wilderness? Right after his baptism, it says the Holy Spirit led him out into the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan himself. So the Son of God, fully God, fully man, was also tested to prove that he would do what God had asked him to do, that he wouldn't veer off the path and make life somehow about him. It was about pleasing the Father for him. In the book of James, James, Jesus' brother, writes, Consider it pure joy whenever you face any kind of trial and many kinds of tests in James 1-2. The testing of faith can come in small ways through daily irritating things that your spouse does and will not change and do a different way, your way. That is a test. That is a test that God is allowing into your life. And big ways, big ways, life-threatening ways, you know, disease, you know, pain, hurt, trauma. Those are big tests. Now, we have to understand one thing. Scripture clearly teaches, and we'll see it today in Hebrews 11, that whether it's small or big, whether it's severe affliction or attacks from Satan, 
Whatever it is, God is still in control. He is allowing. In fact, the the book of Job helps us to understand this probably better than any other book in Scripture because it's a whole long book in the Old Testament about a test, a big test, many levels of testing that Job goes through. I mean, I find comfort in the fact that as awful as Job's testing was, it's proof that Satan is limited by God's sovereign control at all times. God is never out of control. So no demon that can test me, no, no affliction that can come on me goes beyond what God will allow for his glory to come in my life and for me to grow and to become more like Christ. That's hard to say in the middle of a test. So we need to say it 364 days a year. Because on that fifth, 365th day, if that's the big test, sometimes it's hard to hold on to that truth. But we are encouraged in the book of Hebrews to hold on, to hold firm. Scripture clearly teaches us that all of our trials work together for God's perfect purposes and for our benefit in the long run for our benefit when we finish the race. So that's what a test is. But why are we tested? When we ask why God tests us or allows us to be tested, we're actually admitting that the testing does come from him. When God tests his children, he does a very valuable thing for us. He makes us grow. He changes us. He allows the circumstance to make us stronger, to help our faith to grow, to prove himself to be faithful in that situation. David, King David, he actually asked God to test him, asking him to examine his heart, to look into his heart and to see if there was anything that was untrue to God in there any wicked thing, any sin, God, search me and find it so that it can be confessed and I can get it out. I can become purified through your testing. You're you're helping me. When Abraham was tested by God in the matter of sacrificing his son, his promised son, Isaac, Abraham obeyed, our scripture tells us in Hebrews 11. And showed to the whole world that he is truly the father of our faith. We're going to see why he gets that title. And that title is an eternal title for Abraham, the father of our faith. James says that the testing of our faith, it develops perseverance. It leads to maturity in our walk with God. And Abraham had matured. Abraham was really old by the time he had this test. He was over 100 years old. Because Isaac was already walking and talking. Isaac was maybe 12, 13 years old. So Abraham would be 112 or 13. He lived a long time. He didn't have Isaac until he was near 100 years old. So that's the miracle that we looked at two weeks ago. The miracle of bringing a child to a couple that was nearly dead, Scripture said. Nearly dead. That God could bring life even in death. So for you to know when your faith is tested, to know that you have the endurance and the chance to grow is important. James 1.3 says that. It says, for you know that when, you're t- when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. 
For when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect, you'll be holier, you'll be more complete, and you'll need nothing. You'll lack nothing, Scripture says, when your faith develops, when you endure testing. That's why James says rejoice even when you're tested. Now, we do this in the physical. We do this in the physical all the time. But when it comes to the spiritual, we somehow want it to be different, right? So if you want to become a great athlete, maybe an Olympic athlete, what do you do? You just decide and then you show up at the Olympics. You buy a ticket to Japan and show up and say, okay, I'm here for my, you know, my marathon. No, you test your body. You take years to develop the skills that are necessary for you to be at that level as an athlete. God is doing the same thing spiritually for us. When you, when you get up, if, are any of you athletes out there, you had to get up early in the morning and go to practice, whether it was football practice or soccer practice or whatever, you don't want to get up. You want to stay in your bed. You want mom to make you pancakes and you just want to stay home in your bathrobe, Right? No, 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 that's not how it works. You'll never become a better athlete until you go out there and you run those miles and you do those skills and you do it consistently again and again and again. You are testing yourself or your coach and your team is testing you so that you improve and then you improve some more and then you improve some more. And the more you do that, the the more you improve. So we see it in the physical, but when we, when we get into it in the spiritual, we all like become a bunch of babies. Well, I just want to stay in my bed. I just want pancakes with lots of syrup. You know, like we just, we become this, we forget. God has given us this physical world and all of its glory to teach us about the spiritual world because we can't see that. We experience it, but we don't see it. So James tells us that testing is actually a blessing. Would you dare to say that with me this morning? Testing is a blessing. I didn't hear anybody. Testing is a blessing. Elaine, I did not hear you. Testing is a blessing. That's what the Bible tells us. I know that wreaks havoc inside of our logical minds, but follow this trail with me this morning. It's exciting. He says that the testing, when we're tested over and over again, when we stood the test, the test of time, we will receive, in James 1.12, we will receive a crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. James 1.12. A crown of life from God. I don't know even how to even imagine that. But God does something like crown us, like, he, like a king would crown maybe a prince or a princess. He puts something on us called life, the crown of life, when we have gone through testings and shown that we are faithfully called his children. Testing comes from our heavenly father who works all things together for good for those who love him. And those who are called to be his children. That's Romans 8.28. You know that verse. But you often want to separate it from the testing. It is part of a bigger passage of scripture. Teaching us that God is doing what is good for you. Your coach, when your coach really commits to get you up in the morning. To get you to do those exercises. To make sure you run those drills. He's doing something good for you. Sometimes you don't like him. And you think you wish your coach would go away. 
but he's doing something good for you. He's developing you. He's helping you to grow. He sees potential in you, so he invests in you. Do you know that God sees potential in us? So he's invested in us? I don't know why. When I look in the mirror, I think, what? Is he crazy? But no, he sees potential in me. He sees potential in you. And so he invests in you. And he puts these little tests and big tests in your path so you can grow in faith, so you can grow to be the child of God that he sees, but you don't see yet. But he sees by faith we believe that God has called us to be complete in him, to lack nothing, to have everything we need to live godly lives. There's many examples of of the positive results of being tested in Scripture. The psalmist actually compares it to being refined as fine silver. Being refined, being, being heated up so that the impurities come to the surface and those impurities are removed and then you become purer, more holy for God's purposes. Peter speaks of our faith as being of greater worth than gold. Gold was the most valuable thing in, in the world, still is in many ways. But this, this, this faith that develops in us as we are tested is more valuable than gold. In First Peter, he says that. So in testing our faith, God causes us to grow in ways that we wouldn't grow if we stayed in bed with our teddy bear. We just won't grow there. We won't get stronger. We won't become, we'll just, we'll, we, we'll be weak. We'll be pale because we'll never see the sun you know, we'll be fat because we eat too many of mom's pancakes. We, we, we'll just, we won't become what we're meant to be. So testing is the process that God lovingly allows us to go through so we become what he meant for us to be. So that one day we stand in his presence and he says, well done. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done. I want to hear that. I want us to hear that. The joy of that is, is unbelievable. So when we experience the storms of life, the difficulties of life, they are meant to drive our roots down deep, like a tree. To drive our roots down, 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 deeper and deeper into God. They're not meant to destroy the tree. They're not meant to be like many of the trees during these storms we've been through that just fall over because they can't take it anymore. The wind was too much or the ground got too soft. This, this testing that we go through is meant to make us stronger and deeper into God. To go deeper into his word, to go deeper into prayer, to go deeper into fellowship with one another so that we can stand the tests, and receive the reward that God has planned for us. We must dig our roots down in more deeply, not curl them all up and and cover it with a comforter. No, no, no. We need to go more deeply into God when we are tested. That's where the, the fruit is. That's where the goodness is. Holding on to God's word, clinging to his promises, even though none of it makes sense, clinging to his promises so that we can weather whatever storm comes against us. That's what God wants. So let me comfort you with this truth. God said in his word, he will never allow you to be tested beyond what you can handle in his power. He is not here to destroy you. He is here to help you to grow and to become stronger. 
His grace is sufficient for us. His power is made perfect in our weakness. That's why the Apostle Paul said, it is for Christ's sake that I delight in my weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. I delight in those. It sounds like a crazy man talking. But he says, for when I am weak in myself, then I am strong in God. When we finally come to the end of ourselves, which most of our testing gets us there, we then find the strength of God. It comes to us by the Holy Spirit. It's a mystery sometimes, but we find the strength of God. It's not our own wisdom. It's God's wisdom. It's not our own strength. It's God's strength. And that's what holds us together. That's what gets us through. That's, That's what makes us able to look back and say, I don't know how that happened, but God got me through it. It was awful. I thought I would die, but God got me through it. God is amazing, and it brings glory to God. So Hebrews 2, 18 said this. Jesus himself was tested. Jesus suffered injustice. He didn't deserve any of the, the punishment and the insults that he got. And he, was ab- he is now able to help those who are tested. Because Jesus came and lived as a man and went through all that he went through, he's able to help us. He's that great high priest that the book of Hebrews talks about. He can intercede for us. He can, he, he's able to understand us in our weaknesses. This is the beauty of our God. He didn't just stay in heaven and watch those poor pitiful people. He came here to live like us. To be born in poverty. To struggle. To go through difficulties to finally struggle all the way to the cross, which none of us have been through. But through all that, he then can comfort us. He then can understand us. We then can relate to him and he relate to us because he too suffered, the preacher of Hebrews has already said. So now let's talk about Abraham's big test. The big test. He had other tests, but this is the big one. The preacher of Hebrews knows his, his congregation, and he knows that they're already suffering in some ways. There's going to be more suffering. We know historically that this book came prior to a much bigger persecution of the church. At, at, at this point in history, it was starting. It was, it was breaking out in different places, but it, it came big time later on. This when they were thrown to the lions, and when they were sawn in two, and all these horrible things that happened to them. So big persecution is coming. God is stirring up the preacher of Hebrews to speak to these people so that they understand that God is, number one, with them. Jesus understands and is with you, and that God will get them through it. One way or another, he will get them through it. He wants them to understand that. Our passage this morning is in Hebrews chapter 11. The verses that we're looking at are verse 17, 18, and 19, if I haven't said that yet. So as I said, this is no small test. This moment when God asks Abraham to take his son Isaac up to the mountain and sacrifice him is not only dramatic, but it is traumatic. As a parent, as a child, I don't know what other kind of trauma, drama could beat this one. This is the big test. This is the test that makes all my lesser tests look small. Like, like you know, they talk about first world problems, you know. 
Like, oh, I can't get cell phone reception. Poor me, you know. Like, first world problem, right? There are third world problems where someone doesn't have anything to eat today or this week, you know. So it's a comparison. For me, like, I got some first world faith problems. Abraham had a big, big, big third world faith problem here, right? He had to make a decision. Can I trust God in this seemingly contradictory, strange situation that I find myself hearing from him. The big test that God gave Abraham seems to actually end the promise, right? It ends everything. The end of Isaac would be the end of God's promise. So it doesn't make sense. Sometimes God doesn't make sense, right? People of faith, we got to accept that. He's not always going to explain himself to you. Do you remember in the book of Job? He gets to a point with Job and he says, listen, where were you when I created all this? I didn't consult with you. I didn't get permission from you, Job. I'm God and you're not, right? So this is the kind of situation that Abraham finds himself in as well with this child that he loves and adores and waited his whole long, long life to have. God says, I want you to, to take him up there. And I want you to sacrifice him on an altar. Now, for all of us in, in, in the time that we live in, this is very difficult to even fathom. It was much more common in ancient times. There was child sacrifice. If you read through the Old Testament, many of the pagan countries practiced it. But here we are, the father of our faith, being asked to... Do away with the promised child. In verse 18, it says, It is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Now, the word reckoned, we don't use that. It sounds like a Western world. I reckon she's coming for dinner. You know, it's not like that. Reckoned actually means relied on, right? So it's through Isaac that your offspring, all the rest of your descendants that you've been promised by God, will be relied on. Isaac's the beginning of the blessing. So if we stop the blessing right here with Isaac, that's the end. That's the end of the blessing. So the test was, how was Abraham going to look at this situation? Was he going to look at it from his own human perspective, his own limited understanding, the fact that, God, this don't make sense? Or was he going to look at it from a position of faith, a faith perspective? And in this case, they're two very different things. This is a test. God wasn't saying this is only a test of the emergency broadcast system. If this were a real test, you'd hear this noise. You know, no, he's got, no, this is the real test for Abraham. And thank God the father of our faith chose door number two. He chose to look at this thing from a faith perspective. A faith perspective. Because, as we said two weeks ago, he was living in the light of this. I know who God is, and I know he has promised to do what he said he would do. Do you remember we said that together two weeks ago, those of you who are here? God is who he says he is, and he has promised to do what he said he will do. That's what living in faith means. 
We live in a reality with God that often doesn't fit in with our earthly reality. That's why Paul said, we walk by faith, not by sight. Because our sight is not just like what we physically see, but also what we physically can think through and, and use our logic and rationale to understand. God's ways are higher than ours. So we have to learn to trust God, follow the path that he's laid out for us, or completely disobey him. That's, that's a choice the poor Abraham had. Because you can either obey God and go and do this thing that seems crazy and seems like this is the end and what was this all about? Like, ah, you know. Or, or, you can step out in faith, you can walk in this way, you can trust him. And we see, if you look at the passage, let's just, if you have a Bible, I hope you do, but if you have a Bible, just quickly look with me at chapter 22 of Genesis because this is where this whole thing plays out. The preacher in Hebrews is just assuming his people know this story, but we can never assume. In Genesis chapter 22, I want you to see the two statements of faith that help us to know that when Abraham made this decision to do this thing that made no human sense, he was thinking differently than you and I often do, all right? In Genesis 22, verse 5, it's up there on the screen. It says, he says this to his servants. So he goes with some servants, but then he gets to a certain point on the pathway as he's going up the mountain, and he knows that the servants should stay there, and it's just going to be him and Isaac up at the top. So he takes Isaac, he takes some wood, he takes some fire. I don't know if it's a coal or something like that, but he takes that up with him, and he says this to his servants before he leaves. We will worship, so we're going up to the top mountain, we will worship, and then, and I love this, he says, we will come back to you. He doesn't say I. So in his mind, he's already to the point where I'm going to do this thing, but God's going to do something beyond, beyond what I can think. God's going to blow my mind, and I'm just going to be obedient and keep walking this way and keep walking this way. So he doesn't say we will worship and then I will come back to you. Because Isaac will be dead and sacrificed. Somehow, in his faith walk, he has come to know God so well and trust God so much that he knows God has to keep his promise. God will keep his promise. So we will come back to you. Then as he's walking further up the mountain, he's getting, it's just him and Isaac now and the donkey, I guess. They're going up to the top of the mountain, right? We have to envision it. His son says to him, Papa, Daddy, I see the wood and I see the flame. Like I said, like a coal or a torch or something they're carrying, right? Because they don't have matches or big lighters, right? So I see the wood, I see the flame, I don't see the sacrifice, the offering. I don't see the offering. It, it, I can't see it because he's a, he's a kid, right? He's looking. He's, he can't see it. Where is it? Abraham says to his son, God himself will provide the lamb for the offering, my son. God himself is going to do it. I don't know how he's going to do it, but he's going to do it. God will provide a lamb, and he's going to do it himself. 
That's his second faith statement, right? He doesn't say, oh, sorry, buddy, but you're the sacrifice, right? He doesn't do that to his poor son. (laughs) He says, God himself, somehow, miraculously, beyond what I can understand, beyond what I can rationally think through, God himself will provide a lamb. And the fact that it says a lamb is so beautiful because when John the Baptist sees Jesus coming to be baptized, he says, behold, the Lamb of God. He calls Jesus the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the world approaches. This is, this is showing us God's master plan, little pieces of it throughout history, but this is amazing. In Hebrews chapter 11, go back to that, in our passage, in verse 19, The preacher of Hebrews says, Abraham reasoned or thought through somehow that God could raise the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the death, from death. So figuratively, I mean, Isaac was as good as dead because Abraham not only binds him up and puts him on the, on the wood, he lifts up his dagger and is just ready to plunge it. Knowing that somehow by faith God was going to do what only God could do. God was going to provide a lamb for this sacrifice. But I'm going to be obedient even to this very awful, awful decision. And boom, it says uh, an angel grabbed his arm. And then a ram over here in the thicket got his horn stuck and was going. You know how they make that awful, annoying noise. And, And it was God providing the ram. This is why Abraham is the father of our faith. I've never been tested that way. I hope you've never been tested that way. But some of you have had some awful tests. Some of you have been through some horrible times. And you've got to trust God that he will do what he said he would do. And he is who he said he is. So his word then becomes to us a shield, a a sword. It becomes the thing that, that protects us and helps us to understand we are mere children. We are so tiny. Our thinking is so little compared to our God. God is so big. God is so awesome. God is so majestic. He is beyond, he can blow our minds like that in a second and another second and he can just keep doing it because he's God. We can't reason our way through this life. We got to walk by faith. I think Abraham, Abraham's donkey should have this bumper sticker on it. If God said it, he will do it. And he could stick it right on the donkey's butt right there and go all around the whole, the, wherever he lived with his donkey that said, listen, if God said it, God's going to do it. Because he did it for me and he did it for you. If God said he will forgive your sins, he's going to do it. If God says he will wash you white as snow, he's going to do it. If God says he's going to pour his spirit into you and then his spirit is going to make your life into some kind of temple, he's going to do it. That's what God can do. The impossible. How can he take a horrible sinner like me and make me new again? I don't know. How does he take a cruddy little caterpillar and turn it into a beautiful butterfly? I don't know. It goes into the chrysalis and it comes out amazing. That's you. That's me. That's your potential in God. We have to believe it to see it. That's why Jesus asked those questions. Do you believe? Do you truly believe that I will glorify my father? through your life, in your life. It's hard to believe sometimes because we're trapped in our minds. 
It's hard to know that. From our New Testament perspective, we now know that God himself did more than Abraham because God himself gave his son and his son truly died on that cross for you and me. God loves us that much. He went all the way through this test with Jesus to the point where Jesus said, God, Father, why have you forsaken me? Like Jesus himself had to struggle through that. God's provision of a ram for Abraham points directly to Jesus as our substitute offering. We should die because of our sin. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God through Jesus Christ is this eternal life that we are blessed to have. The spirit that lives within us. The hope that we have for an eternity where there's no crying, no tears, no nothing that can get to us. Only goodness from God. If God was willing to send Jesus to die for sinners like us, I think he can be trusted and he should be obeyed even when he tests us. And even when we can't see how this is going to work out, we are to trust in him. Because God is our Jehovah Jireh. Have you ever heard him called Jehovah Jireh before? Because in this passage in in Genesis 22, Moses names this place Jehovah Jireh. He says, this is the place that God will provide. This is the place. And 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 he doesn't say like this is a place that God did provide. Actually, in the Hebrew, It literally says, on this mountain, the Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. Now, people try to study the geography, Old Testament to New Testament, New Testament to now. And they say that this this spot, this Mount Moriah, this area, is where Jesus gave up his life for us. This is where the perfect Lamb of God laid down his life for us. Jehovah Jireh, our provider. He didn't just provide for back then. He provides for every breath we take, every step we take. He is giving us strength. He is giving us direction. He is giving us wisdom and help when we walk by faith. If we turn from a walk of faith, we're on our own. We're on our own strength. And I don't have much. I'm a little guy. Some of you are big. You got more strength. But you know what? Yours isn't enough. You need God's strength in your life. Some of you are really smart, smarter than me. That's not hard. But even the smartest of you, you're not smart enough to outsmart God. You're not strong enough to outstrength God. We need his strength. We need his wisdom every day. Some of the tests that we go through are rough and they're long and they're difficult and we have to hold each other up in the middle of those storms and help each other not to fall down. As members of the body of Christ, we're called to love each other. Because I, I, I don't know what to tell you, but God's doing something. Like, I don't even know. Because my mind is way smaller than his. But God is doing something awesome. I can't even see it. I just know it. And I hope that you also are beginning to understand that when we walk by faith, we just trust God. 
We just, if he says go there, you just go there. I don't know why I'm going there. I'm just going there. If he says to me and to the leaders of the church, give that little church plant jubilee, give them the fourth Sunday of every month. I'm just going to do it. I, I don't know why. I don't know what he's going to do, but he's going to do something. Because when we follow him by faith, his promises are then revealed. We get to see his provision. We get to see that he provided, that he made a way, that he, he turned this into something way more than we could have done in our own puny little strength. Let's pray. Let's pray. God, we love you. We know there are so many times that our faith is weak. We don't even know if we have any faith for what we're going through. Thank you that we just need a little bit. We need to know who you are through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We need to know his love for us and your love for us, that you would let him die on the cross for us. And as we grow as Christians, as we grow through the daily grind of life, help us to go more deeply into you. Help us to develop more faith, to believe what you're telling us and to walk in the way that you're guiding us. We thank you for your word because it's this safety. It's this guardrail of our lives. We go into your word to find your wisdom and to find your truth and to find your true personality. Who you really are is revealed to us in your word. You didn't want Abraham to kill his son. That's, that's nothing like you. But you, somehow, through Christ, was able to go through that pain and through that suffering for us. We don't deserve that. And yet, you poured out your love lavishly through that. So we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for Abraham. We thank you that somehow you worked through his life and have made him the father of our faith. Help us to learn how to have more faith and to walk in faith. For you truly are the way maker. You're the miracle worker, God. Be with us as we sing. Cement your truth into our lives. In Christ I pray. Amen.